Hey, um, next week we're going to start this Christmas series. I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, but before we do that, here's what I thought I'd do today. I want to do something maybe a little bit different. Um, let me tell you what my goal is. My goal is not to teach you anything new today. And some of you are going, well, what else is new? Shut up. Anyway, um, here's what all I want to do is I want to go back and I want to review and look at some of the big rocks and big truths that we have been looking at since on Labor Day, we, we started working our way through this famous talk that Jesus gave called the Sermon on, on the Mount. And it, we kind of broke it up into different series. But my, my purpose in doing this, let me tell you what the kind of inspiration to kind of talk, call a time out for this is. So this is a time of year where I have to call the doctor. I have to call Kaiser this week and make an appointment for my yearly physical. I have to have a physical every year for them to give me meds. <laughs> I'm on meds. I know. You need more. Shut up. Again. All right. Um, but uh, so, so here's the thing about physicals and checkups, all right? And, and I, I can't speak for you ladies. I'm sure yours is as horrific as ours. But, but like uh, the older you get, the, the more intrusive they become, right? Just watch all the guys going, eh, yeah. All right. Like, like when we went out for football, track, something like that in middle school or high school, like that, we heard rumors about what they were going to do to us, but we couldn't even imagine it. And then we went in there and we're like, no one's done that. And then you cough and then you like go out in your car and cry. And it's like, but you made it. You made it. All right. You're okay. But then, then you know, as you get older and older, like, like when you turn 40, uh-huh, it's so much more intrusive. And um, they, they do things that I never thought a man would do to me ever. And then they did that. And then I went out in my car and cried and told myself I was still a man, but I'm all right. And, uh, and then, but when I turned 50, man, they just skip all that, just go right to a garden hose and go, wah And, uh, and uh, it's really uh, important that we have checkups. That's my point. And uh, <laughs> no, some of the visitors are going, is he always this crude? Oh, just wait, Grandma. Uh, um, <laughs> Here's the point in all that, right, is that, is that um, the reason we go and get physicals and checkups is because we want to see if everything's working the right way, and maybe we had one a year ago, and we want to see if anything's changed uh, for the better or the worse, and then we make a strategy based on, okay, now what do I need to do moving forward so I move to a healthier spot? And that's what's true with our bodies needs to be true with us spiritually as well, and a lot of times at Thanksgiving, it's a good time to call a timeout and go, what's working well? What's not working well? What am I paying attention to? What have I neglected? And you know, I actually am thankful for that. I haven't thought about it until you know, that holiday kind of rolls around. So what I want to do today is I want to look at, at kind of what Jesus has been teaching us over the last three or four months. And if you haven't been here for the last three or four months, you're not going to get lost because I'm going to go back and review each one of them. But then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to do. This is the only application today. Then we're going to end with communion here at the end. But the, the only application is I want you to ask yourself two, two questions, both of them. Uh, the first one is, uh, what difference would that truth make in my life if I actually lived out of it? Now, I'm not asking, do you believe it's true? I'm asking, okay, if what Jesus says is true, I actually made that a part of my life, how would my life be different? All right, because here's just a, something I think we all would agree on. What we do reveals what we actually believe. It doesn't matter what you say you believe or sing you believe. You know, if someone asks you you believe in God, you can say whatever you want. Follow me around for a week or two, and you'll see what I believe, because I act out of what I think actually works in real life. Well, no matter what I say, I, if I believe that's true, that's how I'm going to act. So if you want to know what I believe, watch me. So the question is, if we really did believe what Jesus says is true actually works in our lives, what would our life look like? Does that make sense? Followed by this follow-up question is, um, what part of what Jesus says is true do you believe or maybe have the hardest time believing is true, at least for you? Jesus is going to say something that's true, and you're going to go, that probably is true for some people or other families, or other couples, or other men, or other women, or other circumstances, but I don't, I'm not sure that would work for me. So what part of what Jesus says is true, do you have the hardest time believing is true for you, and why is that? All I want you to do is look at that. 
You don't have to do anything with it. It just kind of going, I have to acknowledge that I have a hard time believing that's true for me. All right. So let's jump into this, okay? So, so Jesus taught some really, really big, like, mind-blowing things that, that people had never considered before back then, and even uh, some of us who've grown up, you know, in, in church or outside of church today, we never even thought about it like that. Like, like, Jesus said this. He said that it's possible for ordinary people like us. You don't have to be a super Christian or super spiritual, whatever, but ordinary, like, go to work every day, get out of bed, you know, try to make, make life work. Ordinary people like us to live our life with God, I love this term, to live our life with God in his kingdom. He said, you can live with me in my kingdom. He called it the kingdom of heaven. And here's kind of the thing that blew a lot of our minds. Whenever Jesus says heaven, he's not talking about what most of us grew up thinking. When I hear the word heaven, I think, you mean after my funeral, I go to a Disney castle in outer space and meet Jesus with a bunch of angels playing harp music. That's not even in the Bible, all right? And it's certainly not what Jesus was referring to when he says, I want you to live with me in my kingdom of heaven now. He's talking about the space, the air around your head where God is right now in your life right now. He wants to go to work with you. He wants to go to school with you. He wants to be in your marriage with you. He wants to walk through your divorce with you. He wants to be in your addiction with you. He wants to walk through life with you right now. And he says, if that's possible, if it's really possible for you to live your life, no, again, as you are, to live your life with God in his kingdom right now, he says this, and the Bible word is, you might want to repent and that just means this if all that's true you might want to rethink how you think about everything if it's possible for normal people like us to live with God when we go to work or school or or wherever we're going to go for the rest of the day and do that with God I might want to rethink how I've been thinking about all the most important parts of my life at least take a look at them. And that, that whole process of rethinking everything, it, we call it spiritual formation. I'm trying to get to know the, the real Jesus, not necessarily the one I was raised with or the one that got shoved down my throat and I got drug off to whatever, all right? I'm getting to know the real Jesus so I can actually begin to, to think like he thinks. I want to have the mind of Christ. So, so this is kind of the metaphor we've been using. If this is a rope, this is everything I believe. You say, God, this is what I think of. You say, Jesus, this is what I think of. You say, marriage, this is what I think of. When I look in a mirror and see me, this is what I think of. When I see people like that, this is what I think of. And now I'm starting to get to know Jesus better, and he has different thoughts on some of these things. And actually, as I'm getting to know him better and trust him more, I, I'm becoming more and more willing, and this is where we're going to end today, to let go of some of these ideas, rethink them, and take hold of his ideas and start living out of that. No, now, let me just ask you, everything I've said so far, do you believe that's true? And what would your life, how would your life be any different if you actually believed that when you get in your car or truck here in about 40 minutes, you're, that God was with you? And as you face relatives and marriage and kids and parents and all the things that you have to face later today, you didn't have to go through it all by yourself, but God was with you in it. Would it make a difference? Would it, would it cause you maybe to rethink how you're going to spend the rest of your day? I don't think about it. So let's go back to this famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been walking around Israel for a few weeks. He got, he's got, got baptized. He's got a few followers, all right? And he's been teaching people. He's been healing people. He's been feeding people. Uh, some people that come to him, he's got, they have demons in him. He cast them out. And a big, he's getting a big, big, big crowd just following him around to see what he's going to do next. And so this is where we pick up in this famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, all right? Now, so the disciples are his followers, but big crowds of people became, came to him. He began to teach them. And we, we spent a couple weeks looking at who them was. Do you remember who they were? It's a Hebrew word. It's anawim. And this is really, really important. Anawim translates out of the Hebrew, throw away people. 
The people that came out on that hillside that day to listen to Jesus kind of, kind of teach us something about God right, that we never thought of before, um, they weren't religious people. They weren't like sophisticated people. They weren't people that had their act. They were the throwaway people. They were believed that, that and been, they believed this because people had told them this, their families had told them this, religion had told them this, that somehow they were so bad, they were disqualified from being with God. They had broken, they'd committed too many sins, they'd broken too many laws, they hadn't done things the right way, and God had no use for people them, like them. Religion had no place for people like them. And that would explain why their life was so bad. They actually did the math in their head and says, the reason I have cancer is God hates me. The reason my kid died in a car wreck, camel wreck, whatever, right, is because I, I did something wrong and this is God punishing me. And you know what, that is not an, that's not a, an ancient belief. There's a lot of us that we do that math every time. What did I do wrong that God did this to me? That must make me a throwaway person. My circumstances are the result of my sin. And Jesus says, not, not necessarily. As a matter of fact, I would like to, I'd like to talk to the honoring. And he starts with like this, and I love this, he, he, this big word. He says, blessed are, all right? And blessed, uh, the Greek word is makarios, all right? Um, living the blessed kind of life connected to and an intimate conversational friendship with God. He looks at these throwaway people and goes, I'd like to make an announcement to you, so you might re want to rethink everything, is that I would actually like to live an intimate friendship with you for starting now, going past your funeral forever. And let's get more specific. He looks around the crowd and goes, blessed are the, remember this, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's poor in spirit mean? I, mean, I grew up saying, blessed are those who are really humble and they know that they need grace. Absolutely. Here's what Jesus was talking about. Blessed are those empty, broken people who look inside and there's just nothing going on. They're just spiritually empty. They really believe that they have nothing really worth of anything to offer to God. I'm broken, I'm a mess, I'm jacked up, I'm screwed up, I'm sure that God hates me. And Jesus goes, excuse me, um, I would like to invite you to come and live with me in my kingdom forever. The kingdom of heaven is, is yours. And here's the thing that just blew their minds, it's gonna blow some of our minds too, is I want you to come as you are. I don't want you to quit doing that, I don't want you to start doing more of that and make me promises that you'll never do that again. I want you to come, mess and all, honor we and all, I want you to come and live in my kingdom with me because Jesus knows what all of us know. If we could have fixed our lives on our own, we already would have. But there's some parts of our life that the only way they're going to come back together is if we do it with God in his kingdom. He says, hey, Anawim, why don't you just come live your life with me? Now, do you believe that's true? You wish it was? Wouldn't it be awesome if it was? Why can't it be true for you? Think about it. He didn't stop that there, right? Uh, I, I think he looked around the crowd and he saw a bunch of people with really puffy, swollen eyes because they've, they've been crying for several days or weeks. And he goes, hey, I want to talk to you. Blessed are those who mourn, for in my kingdom you, will shall, you shall be comforted. Um, blessed are those who have experienced the death of the most important people and relationships uh, and hopes and dreams. You've seen it all crucified. Blessed are you who just saw your life burned down. Blessed are you. Here, here, here's what I mean. Bring that mourning and that loss and that brokenness, bring that into my kingdom. And in my kingdom, I can give you comfort that you cannot find anywhere else from any other human being, from any substance, from any activity that you try to prop your life up with. Bring your mourning to me, and I'll give you comfort in my kingdom. Don't you hope that's true? Because we look for comfort everywhere but the right place. And Jesus says, just bring it to me. And in my kingdom, I, I will put your heart back together. How about this? Blessed are the, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And let me tell you how that translates. Remind that, all right? Blessed are those who have been thrown aside, cast aside, kicked aside, uh, 
Blessed are those people who say you don't have a voice. Blessed are those people who, who, who don't think they matter. And the reason you don't think you matter is because everybody in your life has told you you don't matter. Hey, blessed are you because in my kingdom, everybody matters. As a matter of fact, in my kingdom, my father will make sure that you're his child and you have everything you need up to and including the earth. God, God will take care of you in my kingdom. Hey, meek, don't you need a place to know that you matter? And Jesus says, you're with me, you do. Don't you hope that's true? And why can't you get there? There's a reason. How about this? I love this one. I love all of them, but I like this one lands. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for in my kingdom you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you, and some, some of us know what this feels like. You see something going on, and it happened, and somebody needs to pay. Somebody needs to make that right. Somebody needs to stop that, and she needs to, that. We need to even the score because that's justice, and justice needs to be served. And I look around for justice, and nothing is happening. Nobody seems to care about it, and it's like a pit in my stomach. It's like an ulcer. It's like it's just gnawing at me, and I want it to be right. And Jesus goes, "Listen, I understand." I understand being not treated fairly. I understand being blamed for things that are not your fault. I understand when things are not right. Just listen, listen, I can take, I, I got that. You bring that to me and I will satisfy that gnawing in it that you cannot satisfy on your own. I'm not gonna explain to you how I'm gonna do that. You just gotta trust me. I've got that. You can come with me. I'll make it right. Do you believe that? And wouldn't your life be much better if you didn't have to go around and pay everybody back all the time? And Jesus says, well, just me, I, I've got it. How about this? Um, blessed are the, the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And, and, and here's what it's not. Merciful is not, if you become a more merciful, forgiving, loving person, then Jesus will let you into his kingdom. That's not how, Jesus doesn't cut that deal. What Jesus says is, why don't you just come as you are into my kingdom, and when you're in my kingdom, I promise, you'll be so overwhelmed with the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that God gives to you, all of a sudden you're going to find yourself being the kind of person that actually hands out mercy. Well, you didn't used to be like that. What, what happened? I, I just am, I'm starting to understand how much God loves me, and th- here's some for you. Right? You, you, know what, you know when you become a more loving person? When you know you're loved. When you know when you're willing to pass out forgiveness, when you understand how much you've been forgiven. Right? And, and the reason that you don't pass out forgiveness is because you think you're better than you are, and you're just kind of self-righteous, and so you don't think you have to forgive anybody. That doesn't really work, does it? But come into my kingdom. You'll be overwhelmed with mercy and you'll just pass it out. Uh, uh, this is given. Blessed are, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And pure in heart sounds so great, doesn't it? I want to be pure in heart, but here's, here's my story. The more I try to be pure in heart, the more I realize I'm not pure in heart at all. Anybody else? I mean, I try to be good, and I, and I look in the mirror going, are you pure? You know, you're not pure today either, all right? I try to do the right thing. I try, I try to make it right. I try to do my best. I make Jesus' promises. This is what every communion service in my life has been about, rehashing my sins from the week, giving Jesus a promise. I'll do better this week if he'll give me another chance, and, and, and I'll, just, I'll, I'll do better, I promise. And then next Sunday, I take communion again. It's the same old thing, all right? I try to be pure. The more I'm pure, I try to be pure, the more I understand I'm just not. I, lo- I love this translation of that one. Blessed are the OCD. Isn't that good? Here, now, here, here's what I mean by that. Blessed are those who are absolutely convinced if I don't do it right in the right times, in the right order, someone will die. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? I've got to get this right. I've got to get this fixed. I've got to get this figured out. I've got to fix this, do this, whatever, or the stakes are so high. And, and, you're, and you're killing yourself, and you're worrying yourself, and you're killing everybody around you. And Jesus goes, let me tell you what. You bring that, you bring that OCD. You bring that, I've got to be pure. You bring that into my kingdom, and you know what you'll see? The face of God, and all of a sudden, things will come into perspective. I'm going to be fine. 
whether I touch it five times and turn around three times, or if I go in and out the door the right way, or if I, if I make it, you know, get all the germs off it, whatever. That, you know what? I'm going to take a breath. I see the face of God. I'm going to be fine. Don't you, don't you hope that's true? And if you have a problem with it, what, where, where do you get stuck on that? See, this is a great one for Thanksgiving. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know what he doesn't say? Blessed are the peacekeepers. That was Thanksgiving. Right? We just tried to keep peace. We all, had a, we all had a family meeting Wednesday, didn't we? Okay. So Aunt Mary's coming over. Do not say anything about her friend. All right? Or, or do not bring, you know what I'm talking about, right? Do not, do not bring up this. Do not bring up politics. Do not bring up this. Do not bring up that. Do not, if you do that, so here's what we're going to do. Here's our Thanksgiving plan. We're just going to keep the peace, and we're going to act like we like each other, at least through dinner. And then the wine's going to flow, and then the gloves come off, and here we go. All right? It's Merry Christmas. But, uh, but, but that's not what he's talking Not peacekeepers. See, peacekeepers just try to avoid the conflict and just act like everything is okay. Jesus says, peacemakers look and go, everything's not okay, and I'm going to step into the fight. I'll probably get shot from both sides, but I'm going to try to bring these things back into the way God wanted them to be. Shalom, peace, as God meant it to be. And people who do that, Jesus in my kingdom, you're, you're, like, you're like me. You're like a son of God. By the way, they crucified Jesus for the same thing, so buckle up. It's going to be hard. But Jesus says, this, this is where it goes. Jesus says this, is that um, there are times in your life when uh, you're going to try to do the right thing. And everybody's going to understand what he's talking about here. You're going to try to do the right thing. You're gonna, here's what happened a few weeks ago. Some of you came in here and you heard things about marriage and divorce. And, and, you, and you just said something in your heart. And you went home and you tried it. And you know what? It didn't work. It got worse. You went home and tried to make peace with somebody. And they said, I'm not interested. You're trying to do the right thing. And you got shot from both Sides. Jesus says, you're gonna, there are days when you're going to try to hold on to God and do the right thing, and you're going to get attacked, persecuted, and lied to, and lied about. We've all been there. And Jesus says this. Here's what God promises in the kingdom. He will take care of you. He will take, he said, he's not going to say that everybody's going to get along with you. He's not going to say everybody's going to agree with you, and the persecution is going to stop. He says, I will take care of you as you go through everything. In my kingdom, out there on your own, good luck, but in my kingdom, I promise I'll take care of you. See, the first thing that Jesus blows out of the water that causes people to rethink what is actually possible for ordinary people like them to live a with God kind of life is this. And this is gonna be new information for some of us. And it's gonna be really hard for us to believe. Our, the circumstances of our life are not a statement upon God's love for us. The fact that something bad happened to you is not because God hates you. That's what the Anawim believed. We're not Anawim anymore. And the reason everything is so good is not because you're God's favorite, so don't flatter yourself, all right? That the truth is, is that, that God loves us not because we've done enough right things and God doesn't hate us because we've done the wrong things. God loves us in spite of all of our things. God loves us in spite of our circumstances, not because of our circumstances. God loves you in the circumstance, whether it changes or not. See, here's the takeaway for the first half of the semester. In the kingdom, you don't have to do anything alone ever again. Well, hey, as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount over the last uh, couple months, uh, all of our groups have been jumping in together and have been having some great conversations around, um, like, blessed are those who mourn and, and blessed are the Anawin, those who are empty. Um, you guys had some great stories you want to share around that. Yeah, we had a really crazy story about that. So there was this um, group of people who met when they were in college. And they started coming to Flatirons, and a couple years went by, and a couple in the group, you know, liked each other, and they got married. And then that's a great um, group right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And then a couple years after that, they found out that uh, they're pregnant, they're gonna have a baby. But then, like three months after they found out they're having a kid, um, 
the husband was diagnosed with bone cancer. And so he fought, you know, cancer for like 18 months and he went in for his scan to see if he was clean or not. And they found out that the cancer had um, gone from his, you know, his bones to his lungs. And he um, was gave, given like 18 months to live. And so the cancer spread a lot quicker than it thought and he died three months later. But uh, through that whole process, the group really supported and took care of the mom and, and their little girl. And just a couple weeks ago, they all went up to Rocky Mountain National Park together and spread their ashes, her, his ashes. Wow. So the more I've thought about that story, it's, you know, like people go through pain and death and cancer yeah. and stuff like that all the time. And everyone will have that moment where they face that. But when Jesus says, you know, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. You know, I think that's what that mom and that daughter felt by having their group around them to support them. That's so cool, man. Yeah. We had a story come out more in regards to Blessed Are the Anawim, or those who are poor in spirit or empty inside. We had a coach that reached out to us and shared that one of her leaders was woken up just startled like in the middle of the night and she turned over and looked at her phone and there had been a text message on her phone. And the words were very simple, but it said, if anyone is out there, I want to kill myself. It was from one of the members of the group who hadn't even shown up to the group yet, but she had just already communicated her contact information. And this woman, for whatever reason, felt like I can reach out to this leader in the middle of the night. And that leader immediately got up and called her and was on the phone with her until 5.30 in the morning. She just listened and the woman shared with her some of the things that she was walking through in those darkest moments of her life. And she found out the next day she had received a message from the woman that she did indeed attempt suicide that afternoon, but then had returned home about 8 p.m. And then I wanted to honor her exact words, and so I wanted to share with you guys exactly what she said. But she said, yesterday the member of my group did indeed overdose and was taken to the ER. She was back home by 8 p.m., but she said she's feeling better and she was going to actually attend the group. And so the next day we heard back from the leader again, and this is what she said. She said, the member of our group did indeed attend last night. She shared and she's grateful for our group. And then the weekend passed and we heard back from the leader again that the member had attended church with her that Sunday. They went to lunch afterwards and she shared with her that she had felt things in that moment on Sunday that she had never felt before. I just think it's a beautiful picture of this woman who was just in a dark place and she felt like she had a safe place and she hadn't even attended the group yet, but because she had an outlet and a place to reach out in the middle of the night mm -hmm. and now God is doing something in her heart and in her mind and has brought hope to that situation. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to tell you both those stories. When I, when I heard the first time, the first thing that jumped out at me was, I think that that young lady who texted in the middle of the night texted the most common prayer of all humanity, and it goes like this, is anybody out there? Right? Because depending on how you answer that question, it, sometimes we decide if we want to stay alive or not. 
The other, the other reason is I'm absolutely convinced when Jesus was on the side of that mountain that day, he looked out, he knew everybody's story out there. I think he saw a young mom with a two-year-old little girl who just scattered the ashes of her husband, and she was trying to figure out what am I going to do, and she knew help's on the way. I'm going to put a group around you. I really believe that. Get in a group. That's, I'm just going to say it. Get in a group. The, the, the worst part the worst part about the things that we have to go through are not necessarily the worst things we have to go through. It's doing it by ourselves, And that's what the kingdom's about. So on the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to move on, but Jesus is going to answer uh, two big questions that everybody has at one point in their life. We spend a lot of time looking at them. What does it mean to be a good person? What does it look like to, to, to live a good life? And when Jesus says the word good, he uses a Greek word, dikaiosune, and that is what is it about God that's good? That word is dikaiosune. And so as we face different circumstances in our life about what we're going to do when we come to that big thing in our life, we want to make sure that I, on the other side of it, I know I'm a good man or good woman and that I, I, I still have a good, a good life. And so what Jesus spends the rest of the semester we've been looking at is, is looking at the two ways, we call them two deals on the table, that the people typically kind of approach trying to figure out, am I a good man or woman, and do I have a good life? There's the religious way, and then Jesus says, but I tell you. And the religious way goes like this. There's a list of rules and regulations and religious laws, and you've got to do them the right way enough times in the right order, and if you do that, then you're a good person and you'll have a good life. And they have nothing to do with your heart or what's going on inside or how you feel about other people. It's just about things we measure on the outside. That's called religion. Then Jesus shows up. I want to tell you a better way. I tell you, let's look at what's going on in the heart that actually has overflowed and landed in, on what's going on in our life. And the metaphor we've been using over the last several weeks in here is, let's go upstream and see what's been happening over the last weeks, months, and decades of our life that flowed all the way down here and landed and caused that to happen. Let's look at that. And again, here's the big takeaway for the, like, the last six weeks uh, here at Flatirons, and it goes like this. God cares more about the kind of person that we are and are becoming. He cares more about that than what we're doing right or wrong. He cares about what we're doing right or wrong. This is a more important thing to pay, pay attention to. In other words, as you look at trying to figure out if you're a good person or what, you know, if you have a good life, um, uh, the, the, the best question is not what behaviors did you do right or wrong? Because you can, you can measure behaviors and still know you're not good. The better question it, Jesus would ask is this, what's going on in a person's heart, like upstream, that, that, that overflowed out and actually led to that kind of behavior? Let's get the heart figured out and behavior will take care of itself. So let's look at the heart. So Jesus says, or religion says this, okay, you want to be a good person, have a good life? Do not murder. That's it? Yeah, low bar. Just don't murder anybody. But we all go, and I know people that haven't murdered, and they're the crappiest people ever. They're not good. Okay. Jesus says, okay, all right, don't murder, right? But murder is not really the biggest problem we have. It's the symptom of a bigger problem. Let's look at this. Um, let's look at all that built-up, unaddressed, toxic anger that continues to build because something or somebody is standing in the way of what you think that you want or believe that you need to, ha to be happy, and they're in your way. And then you're angry, and it's building and building and building. Eventually, it's going to come out. So Jesus wouldn't say, why would you murder? Jesus would ask this question. Um, why do you have so much anger stored up that keeps on murdering the most important parts of your life, the most important people in your life? And the people and parts of our life that keep getting murdered have nothing to do with what we're really angry about. They just get all the fallout. Isn't that true? Is that true for you? And what if we're willing to look at that? Would that change anything? And why don't we want to look at that? 
Religion says this, um, don't, just don't say bad things. Don't call people bad names out loud or you'll get in trouble. And Jesus points out that the name calling and saying mean things to people, that's not the big problem. Your bigger problem is this word called contempt. And anger always leads to contempt. Contempt is redefining people as something different and less than who and what God says that they are. And you always find these two. They're always there together. Anger always leads to contempt. So I'm angry because you're standing in my way and I want to do something and you won't let me have it or you won't meet my need, whatever that is. And I'm angry and I want to do something to you, but I can't do what I want to do to you because if, if I see you as God sees you. So what I do is I redefine you as something different and less than what God says that you are. And now I can do anything I want to you. And here's what we've been looking at. It's really been tough. The people we do that to more than anybody else are the people that we are related to, our family. We, folks, we treat our families worse than we treat our dog. We treat our families worse than we treat some of our enemies. We say things to our husbands and wives and our kids and our parents and, that nobody else would put up with. But somehow we just redefine something and said it's okay. We do it in politics. We do it with groups of people like that. I don't understand why they do that. I think that's gross that they would even feel stuff like that. And I think they should just do it. And so we get mad about it all. And then we redefine them. And then we say the worst things about them. And Jesus says, listen, we got to get to the heart of the issue. And if anything is going to happen in our families, in our marriages, or with people between people that we see around us in the world, something has to change on the inside. And it's not by passing out a bunch more laws and rules. Our hearts need to change. Jesus says the same thing. We spent a couple weeks on this. The same thing applies to like our sexuality, right? So what's going on with, with our sexuality? Um, well, religion says this. Here's all we care about. Just don't commit adultery. Don't have an affair. And that's certainly a good goal, but it's very possible to not cheat on your husband or wife and not commit adultery and not engage in a physical sexual activity with somebody you're not married to and still be just absolutely broken and full of sexual darkness inside. That's just true, because the same truth is true in every area of your life, but it's certainly true with sexuality. And I, I think you believe, even if you're not a, if you don't believe in God, I think you'll agree with this. Most sexual brokenness and frustration has less to do about sexuality, right? I mean, you can't look at it and go, it's because I'm a man. That's why I'm all jacked up, right? It's because I'm a woman. This is how women are. No, you can't say that. It's deeper. Most sexual brokenness and frustration has less to do with sex and sexual desires as, as, it must, as much as it has to do with questions of worth, value, and power. Our sexual brokenness is based on this. Right? If, we, if we're really honest, we look at it going, why is this all messed up in my life? Because I question my worth, value, and power. In order to feel like I'm a man or you need to feel like a woman, whatever that is, then I feel like I need this and I need this to happen, I need this to happen, whatever that is. And then when it doesn't happen, then I'm, I don't know if I measure up as a man. And that makes me angry. And so I, it makes me want to do something, but I can't do something because you're somebody that God values. And so I'll just redefine you and I'll do something to what I want to do to you because you're different. Right? That, anger always leads to redefining people so we can do what we want to do. But Jesus says, listen, you're missing the issue. The problem with going on with our sexuality is not our body. It's not our biology. It's our hearts. And Ben, just, he nailed this so perfectly. I mean, Jesus actually says, if, if lobbing off body parts and gouging out eyes will fix your sexual problems, by all means do that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus says something's broken in our hearts, and that needs to be addressed. Something happened upstream in our life, and it's, life, and it's coming out in sexual brokenness, and we have to look at that, or this will never, ever change, and it's our heart. And probably the, the, the one relationship affected by our heart, Jesus called it a hard heart, more than any other relationship in our life, is our marriage. Our brokenness comes out on our marriage more than anybody else. So, so let me talk to three groups of people. So if you've never been married before, but you think you might get married someday, write this down. Take notes, okay? If you're married right now, 
take, write this down. If you used to be married and you're done with it, just nod your head and agree, all right, with what I'm about to say, okay? So I think I covered everybody, all right? So do you remember, or you're here right now, when, when you went into marriage, you had such high hopes and dreams you had this, this idea, you had this movie playing in your head, you had songs, and you had, you, had this, you had this concept of what marriage is going to be, and it was beautiful and awesome, all right? And then about, I don't know, five minutes into your marriage, you realize, well, that, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And so a lot of those hopes and intentions that were really, really good, they turned into um, uh, demands and expectations. And then when those demands and expectations weren't met the way we thought they were going to be met, we got angry. And then we want to do something to them or with somebody else, whatever that is, we can't. Because we said, I do. And we made a covenant for God and everybody else. And so what we do is that I got to turn this into something else. So I call her a name or I call him a name. She's a blank. He's a blank. She doesn't meet my blank. He doesn't, he does, he's not available. Whatever that is. And then we redefine marriage as something that we just push an eject button and just bail on it. All right. And so now I've redefined everything. Now I can do whatever I want. And so I jump into pornography or I have an affair with this person I met at the gym or the office or whatever that is. And then we point to that and go, that's why, that's why we got divorced. Okay. That's really not our problem. It just ended up there, right? See, our problem, according to Jesus, is a hard heart that simply overflowed into those behaviors. And that's what's breaking up our families, the events are just like the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, I'm going to ask you, just be honest with your own situation. Am I close? All right, so it's, it's true. And again, we're not beating anybody up for your divorce. That's between you and God. You probably had to, all right? The, the question we're looking at is, but from now on, I want something better and different. So in order to have something better and different, I have to look at this and not rehash it, be, you know, learn from it, and be forgiven, but now I want to move on to something better. But we come to our point in our life where we're going, okay, that happened. Religion says, okay, you're going to get a divorce. Here's all that matters. There's some religious rules about divorce. Just do it the legal way. And Jesus says most divorces happen not because of that event, but because of the presence of a hard heart. So here's the question they ask Jesus. When can I get a divorce? And again, all of us might have to ask that question one day, right? And there are some times when you go, today is the day. I have to get a divorce. And you, you, might, you might be right. That's between you and God. So that, you, you work that out, right? Um, but when can you get a divorce? Here's any time you want for any and every reason. This is America. You don't even have to have a reason. I just don't want to be married anymore. And you can go file papers, all right? So, so, so there's not a lot of point, though, in rehashing all that. Jesus would say is, do you want something better what do you want? In other words, Jesus would say this. The question is not when can you get a divorce. It's this. Hey, now that you're in the kingdom and you're living your life with God and new things are possible that didn't used to be possible because you're not by yourself anymore, here's a better question. What's your vision? What's your intent? And what's your strategy to build and experience a great marriage from now on, a great life from now on? What's your plan? I feel like that's just the beauty of groups in general is, is the safety. It just goes to show that we were never meant to do this life alone, that um, all of these life situations, like Caleb said, are going to happen, but what if they happened and we were all alone and we had nobody to turn to? Like, what if that, that wife and that kid were um, still going through cancer, that their husband still got cancer and passed away, um, but she didn't have to do it alone? Or this woman who is facing suicide or even just a dark thought or insecurity, like those things are still going to happen, but we actually don't have to do it alone anymore. And what a beautiful depiction of of the kingdom and that's my favorite thing about groups is that 
whether people have opened up yet in groups or not, um, they have a place to do it eventually. Mm -hmm. um, and it's riskier that way. It's riskier to actually say what's going on at a deeper level. Um, it's riskier to say something that's going on in our heads that's a really dark place. Mm -hmm. But when you take the risk, it goes to show that the Lord is so faithful to meet you in that place when you're surrounded by a community of people. And I love that. I think it's a great depiction of the kingdom. Yeah. We had a story that was like along those lines of, uh, I, I heard about a couple that um, right before this series started, um, some things came out and found out that there was an emotional affair taking place. And uh, the way that I, that, that I heard them tell it was that, that it all kind of came to a head right before this Sermon on the Mount series started. And uh, as we jumped into the series and started talking through some of the Beatitudes, like around, um, around ideas of like being pure in heart, and then as, as topics like anger started coming out, uh, and then as we jumped into like marriage and divorce as we have, have over the last couple of weeks, all of a sudden this couple's going, man, God's talking like directly to us right now. And uh, through the group experience, they, they said, you know, we, we weren't sure if we could share this or not, but we took a risk and uh, we just didn't want to have power over us anymore. And uh, so they opened up and they shared in, in a safe place with their group uh, what was going on in their life and what they were walking through. And they said that they were surprised that they weren't alone. They go, we expected to be the only ones, but, but there were other people who go, yeah, me too. I'm, I'm walking through that same thing. Um, and what's been really cool, I think, for, for, for this couple is on the back end of that, uh, the level of support that they've gotten from the group. And then all of a sudden feeling like that they're, they're not the weird like couple that's walking through something really hard and they're alone in this anymore, but they're going, there's other people who are. And they, they even said, we were like, we were the model Christian couple before all of this. And we're realizing that in the middle of this, we all, we're all honoring people in some ways. Um, and, and it's far from resolved, but they would say that Jesus is 100% helping put things back together. Uh, it's changing their, them at, the, at a heart level. Yeah, and we all have that thing in our lives don't we like that 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 thing and, and it's kind of tied to this this anger or this content or this bitterness or this something that we've just suppressed for so long that we've shoved down that we we don't even know it exists anymore sometimes mm -hmm. but groups provide us that space to first maybe explore it for the first time like this is the the, the anger this is the resentment the bitterness the that thing that I've held on to for years um, is maybe just just coming to the surface for the first time in a lot of these people's lives um, or maybe they're starting to explore that, wow, in the kingdom, God actually has something better for me. <laughs> yeah. Outside of the kingdom, I, I can't actually resolve my anger. I can't resolve my resentment. But inside the kingdom, God's proven himself faithful and he's going to be faithful again. And he's going to use normal people with the same brokenness and the same problems um, to, to fill, fulfill those promises. And, and I love that about groups. Yeah. Me too. So one of my favorite moments in the last six weeks here at Flatirons was um, so we started the marriage and divorce series, uh, or kind of two-week uh, mini-series on that. I, I, on a whim, I said, okay, uh, if you're comfortable with this, show, raise your hand. If you've ever been divorced, your parents have been divorced, your kids have been divorced, or you have a brother or sister that had been divorced, raise your hand. And like 99% of us just went, you know, like that. So that was my favorite part. It, it, well, it kind of was because it led to this email I got later that week from this mom who's going through a divorce who brought her 10-year-old daughter uh, who was really struggling with her parents' divorce in the room that day. And when she looked around that, the room, she actually broke into a smile. 
because that's what they were talking about in the video. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. She thought she was a freak. She thought nobody understood. See, in the kingdom, it's just a bunch of ordinary, normal people linking arms together and going, let's run after Jesus and take care of each other. That's what we're going for. Give me five minutes. We're going to take communion. Um, and all this stuff that we've been talking about the last today and over the last several weeks, what part of it do you, oh, more than anything else, wish was true? Because if it was true, man, it would just change everything, wouldn't it? And what's standing in the way of that for you? Because there's a reason, and you just got to look at it. Last week, Ben kind of wrapped up uh, the teaching part by, by talking about here's the secret like, to any relationship that matters. What, what would happen if we begin to live our lives, living lives of integrity? Where we actually, when we say yes, we mean yes. When we say no, we mean no. Because there's just safety in that. Right? If you're going home to somebody who's going to, you know there's keeping their word, there's just safety in that. And if you look at anything you have a problem with, it's because of hypocrisy. It's what you have a problem with organized religion, right? I had a great talk with this kid in Spain. He just hates the church, not because of Jesus, but because of the hypocrisy. And I had to look back and go, well, buddy, I get it. If you look back at your friendships or your marriage or the most important relationships in your life that died, I bet the moment kind of put a nail in the coffin is when you found out they lied, right? So here's how I'm going to tie this in. Um, so what's your biggest problem with God? What, what are you the most afraid of God about? So I'm, I'm going to throw mine out. So I've got these ideas and these thoughts, and they're not perfect. I'm sure some of them aren't right, but I know them pretty well. This is who I am. This is who God is. This is what I deserve. This is what people are like. This is what marriage is like. This is how I get through the day. This is what's important. This is how I'm going to be happy, and I'm holding on to these. And then I know what Jesus says, and it's different than this, but this is all I know. And he wants me to let go of this and trust him, and so I'm going to, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to reach out in my marriage, in, my, in parts of my life, and I'm going to let go of this, and I'm going to take over. You, know you know what I'm afraid of? Are you going to take care of me? Are you going to be there? I don't know how that. I, this is a mess, but I, I know what to expect. I have no idea what happens if I try marriage this way. I have no idea if I say I'm going to express my sexuality or my, 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 my relationships or my love. or my. Um, I, I have no idea how to go through a divorce like that. I don't know how to do that. This is really scary. How do I know that God will show up for me? That's my biggest fear. How do I know? And, and you know what? That makes me normal. And Jesus knew that there'd be normal people like us. And so he had this great idea called communion. He said, days going to come in your life and you're going to go, this is so scary. How do I know I have the kind of God whose yes means yes and no means no? And so Jesus gathered everybody around a table and he said, everybody take a piece of bread. And this, this bread in the past, is, uh, is, it represented the manna that was given to the Jewish people in the wilderness. From now on, this, this manna, this bread is my body that's broken for you. Everybody take a bite and remember this night. And they had no idea what he's talking about. Then he poured out wine. He says, everybody take a drink. And they do that every Passover. But he says, from now on, this, this, blood, this, this wine represents my blood that's poured out for you. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And I'm gonna, I promise you, I would do everything necessary to make sure that you have what you need in my kingdom. And so this, this wine is going to be my blood. And they had no idea what he's talking about. Then they went outside. Jesus was arrested. The next day, they nailed him to a cross. And everybody thought, hypocrite. He said he would take care of us. He said he was God. He said he could deliver. He said all this stuff, and there's dead Jesus on a cross. And they stuck him in a hole, and he was dead Friday, and he was dead Saturday, and then Sunday. 
Sunday, he came back to life like he said he would as evidence that everything I said before, I now back up. If I can do this, you can trust me with the rest. And you've got to think. People look back at me and went, I've never seen anybody back up a promise like that. So whatever I'm afraid of right there, all I have to do is take a bread and a piece of bread and some juice and go, okay, I've got to remember the kind of God I have says yes and means it. Here's the other thing is, Jesus never promises to take away our problems or even change our circumstances. He promises this, that in the kingdom, because of me, on the other side of it is resurrection. I don't know what you're facing. I bet it's death. I bet it's murder. I bet it's anger. I I bet it's just dark and broken, and you feel like you're the only one. You feel like you're that little girl in the room going, I'm the only one. And Jesus speaks to you right now and goes, I'm in this with you, and I promise resurrection. Do you trust me? So God, in this time where we're going to take a piece of bread and some, some juice, and we're going to remember, because none of us are thinking about a hypothetical thing right now. We've got a thing that we have to face today, and we, we're really, really scared. Will you be there for us? And then we're going to take a breath right now, and we're going to take a piece of bread and a little cup of juice, and remember that you are a God who keeps his promises. Your yes means yes. Yes, you're forgiven. Yes, I love you. Yes, I want you in my kingdom. No, there's no condemnation. No, you'll never be alone again. There's resurrection. So God, in this time right now, will you just teach us how much we can trust you? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.